0: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610-KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Each week, we are here to share with you important health and wellness information happening in and around our community. Tonight, several important topics to bring your way. We'll get you the latest on COVID-19 in the region and where we stand on case rates and vaccination rates as we get ready to more fully reopen our economy in the state of Washington. We will also talk about the importance of organ donation and share a mom's powerful story of losing her son to a motorcycle accident only to have him give the gift of life to several others in need of organs and tissue. First, the heat. We are in the midst of a searing start to our summer with temperatures already hot and expected to climb even higher in the next week or so. We welcome to the program Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. She will update us on COVID in a little bit, but first we want to get her perspective on the dangers we face with this hot weather. Heather, um, every program we have led with COVID, but certainly we have to deal with this heat that not only we are enduring, but the forecasts say it's going to continue to get warmer and warmer and warmer. With the temperatures in the upper 90s and headed into the hundreds, is the key message water, water, water?
1: I think you're um, pretty correct there, Jim. You know, as we look into especially next week and the temperature goes up into the triple digits, um, hydration is probably one of the most important messages we can really pass on to people. But I think it's also important at this at this time as we're heading into the heat, start doing some planning. Think ahead, make sure that you and your family have what you need to take care of yourselves. Um, you know, worst case scenario, if your power goes out or your air conditioner goes out, what are you doing to um, make sure your family stays safe when, when these triple digits roll in. Um, I think it's also real important to look ahead to plan what your activities are When we're getting this hot in the Mid-Columbia, it's really important to do your outdoor activities early in the morning or later in the evening if and when it starts to cool out. Try to avoid, absolutely avoid that middle of the day when it gets so tremendously hot. The same thing with your employees. If you employ people who are working outside, really try to get that workload done early in the morning and consider... um, closing down and letting people take care of themselves when when we start hitting into those very, very hot afternoon, you know, noon and afternoon temperatures. You know, so the greatest risks of being out and about when it's so hot is, is a concern with uh, heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Heat exhaustion, is, is typically when the person overheats, they're, they're feeling heavy sweating, they feel faint, dizzy, sometimes nausea, vomiting, muscle cramps. Their skin will be cool and pale and clammy, and they're going to have a rapid, weak pulse. That's when, that should your, be your first indicator. There's problems, and you need to get them into a cooler environment, preferably air-conditioned, get them to drink some fluids, Put wet cloths on them and fan them, anything you can do to cool them down. And then things can progress into heat stroke, which is a, a life-threatening concern. It's more severe form of heat-related illness. And the, the person will have actually reduced sweating with red, hot, dry skin. But the body temperature starts to go up because you don't have the, the body cooling itself down efficiently. And you'll see 103 temperature and they can lose consciousness. So it is extremely serious, especially when we start seeing these triple digits um, that we're anticipating in, in the next week. Also, be a good neighbor. You know, think about those most vulnerable, those elderly people, um, check on them, make sure they're staying cool, make sure that they're doing okay. And and little kids, little kids may not be able to tell you they're feeling kind of bad out in the sun. so keep a real close eye on those children. They're going to heat up um, three to five five times faster than adults, so we as adults need to keep a close eye on those kids and we can't uh, stress enough the importance of watching out for our pets. Really keep an eye out for those four-legged loved ones in our life and make sure that they are able to get inside into a cooler environment because it, it can cause severe illness and death in our animal population. Also, you know, kind of plan ahead. If you're out and about, where could you go to cool down quickly? If into a mall, into a library, someplace air conditioned that's a public space that luckily we are opening those back up and they are available, consider maybe the mall is the place to go if you really have no place else to cool down. Get yourself into that air conditioned public environment.
0: What... You touched on, on these, these symptoms, of the, 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 the physical symptoms of heat stroke and, and overheating and all of that kinds of thing. At what point, I mean, is, you know, obviously, do you, when it gets to the point of being, okay, I, I've got to go into it where this becomes more serious, where, where you think you're doing the right thing, but then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not getting any better.
1: You know, you're really looking at that level of consciousness we think about it when people get too cold and get hypothermic. The same thing happens there. They start to lose consciousness. They're not making sense. Well, during heat and heat stroke, that happens because their body is heating up too high and their mental functions are starting to decrease. So if you're working with somebody outside or if you're exercising, playing a sport, tennis, basketball, those, those activities that we like to do, throughout the day, honestly, keep an eye on the people you're doing this with and certainly now is not the time to go jogging alone, biking alone. The buddy system is something to keep in mind, particularly during times where it's very hot or very cold so that you're keeping an eye on each other, you know, the worst scenario would be if you ended up in an emergency and you were alone and you weren't even thinking straight enough to call for help that could end up a deadly situation.
0: And I know we've addressed uh, on this program a few weeks ago kind of the the summer, all of the great things that we get to do around here in the summer, the water safety and things of that nature. But relative to the medical side of, of the issues you just described with when it gets too warm, if you're out enjoying the river on a boat and obviously, you can jump in, jump in the river and cool off and those kinds of things. But at what point do you still have to be careful of, of the concerns about heat stroke, Just be, unless you've got like a shaded boat or those kinds of things uh, to be able to get out of the sun?
1: You know, people forget that when they're out on the river, there's a lot of reflection. There is no shade. You may get a little bit of cooling from maybe a breeze blowing on the river. But just because you're on the river doesn't mean you're immune to something bad happening because of the heat. And you might be tempted to jump into the river to cool off, but the Columbia River, our rivers around here, are flowing quite fast right now. They're still cold. And people can get into severe problems out there if they aren't very, very careful. And I would certainly caution people if they are heading to the river this weekend or next week to stay cool, just to be extremely cautious. Use those flotation devices um, because this is the time of year. Unfortunately, we we do experience um, drownings happening.
0: And I know one of the other ki- uh, concerns, and I'm I'm not going to make you a, a fire department expert, but certainly, obviously, with the heat as as already hot as it is, as dry as it's been and going to be, and then obviously the holiday of 4th of July coming on board, we certainly need to be very careful whatever we do around fireworks and fire.
1: Right. We're heading into fire season, and unfortunately in the mid-Columbia the last few years has been pretty severe. So this is also a good time to think ahead when fire season does start to happen. We, we get smoky air. There are a lot of ways that you can help protect your house and your family from you know, some of the smoke that, that is going to be lingering in our community. You know, getting a, a box fan with a furnace filter and help, having that going to help filter and take particulate matter out of the air inside of your house can, can really help improve that the air quality in your house.
0: Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, uh, hopefully getting Important advice out to you in advance of these temperatures going up even higher in our community as we uh, make our way through the summer here in the Tri-Cities. We'll talk the latest with COVID with Heather right after this. And welcome back to the program, Cadillac On Call. Time to get a status report on COVID-19. Continuing our visit with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, uh, everyone is hopeful the economy will be able to reopen more fully in the next week or two. And that doesn't mean, though, we can let our guard down, right?
1: You're, you're right, Jim. Um, unfortunately for us here in the mid-Columbia, we continue to see a lower vaccination rate compared to majority of the rest of the state. And as a result, um, we continue to see, you know, know, certainly infections. Right now, in our local hospitals, there are about 20 people who are hospitalized for COVID or COVID-like symptoms, which is, um, um, actually, I guess it's about 25 out of 391 total hospitalized. And that's that's a little high for us. That's not where we'd like to be. And when we look at what's happening across Washington state, about 95% of people who are hospitalized for COVID are people who have not been vaccinated. So that's really where we're seeing disease burden and then uh, hospitalizations is certainly that unvaccinated population. We know these vaccines work very, very well, are very safe, and they are proving to really stop the spread of COVID. People are just not getting infected once they get vaccinated. And another area of concern for us is certainly with regard to the variants that we hear about on the news. And across Washington State, we're certainly watching closely. The Washington State Department of Health lab over in the the shoreline Seattle area has been doing uh, sequencing for the variants since about um, February of, of this year. But Center for Disease Control really started looking at these in January of 2020. So we've been able to see a little bit of a trend of what's happening as we've looked around the world, what's happening in other countries, and then bringing it back here to America, what is what is happening in America with variants. And right now, what we're seeing is certainly in the southern states, some definite concerns with regard to that Delta uh, variant, the one out of India, and We also need to be somewhat concerned here in Washington State. We're certainly not seeing as high numbers of uh, that Delta variant in Washington State. Since um, we started looking at sequencing up through yesterday, Our data says that there have been 308 Delta virus cases found in Washington state out of all the the tests that they've done. So what Washington state does is they look at all the PCR positive COVID uh, cases and then they take some samples. Uh, The goal was about 5% of those get tested, but actually we're much higher than that now. So the state lab is testing a fair number of those to see what what are the variants that are swirling and the most common one is the alpha out of the UK and you know our concern with the alpha is it seems to be highly infectious quickly spreads person to person and and is more likely to cause severe symptoms and death than the regular one that's been swirling around and then the next one that we certainly hear about like I've been talking about is that delta variant out of India where in Washington State about 308 cases to date, and that one is of concern to us for the same reasons as the UK variant, um, highly easily spread, but there's also concerns about do the treatment drugs work on these variants? And um, that's a concern, but then also how well do the vaccines work against these variants And what it appears, and again, you know, this is all preliminary. Like we've said throughout COVID, we're kind of building the plane as we go. But what it looks like right now is that the mRNA vaccine, like the Pfizer, seems to be protective against the the Delta variant. And since Moderna is the same technology, we would expect it to also be protective. And uh, I know that Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that that viral variant type vaccine, they are looking to see just how protective it is against some of these variants. And we haven't heard that uh, information come out yet. So our, our strong message is with these variants becoming more um, known around the United States, and then I, of course, get concerned with travel season coming up, people are starting to move about the country more Are we going to see an increase in exposure to these variants that are are right now more prevalent in the southern states, but they are certainly already in Washington state, and they are certainly here in in Tri-Cities because we have seen um, them come back in the sequencing that we've seen done on local samples, and and we do have uh, evidence that the Delta variant and some of the others are in the Tri-Cities as well. And your best way to protect against those which are the more lethal um, strains is to get vaccinated.
0: And as you touched on, uh, and I think that's the concern we're seeing across the country is the varying levels of vaccination rates and uh, where those numbers are less. And it doesn't, I guess, in our state, it's our area as opposed to the larger part of the state, because I think statewide we're getting close to 70 percent. But here in our area, we're not we're not uh, we're we're lagging behind, right?
1: We're we're not there. No, Seattle hit the the King County, Seattle area, hit that 70% mark. But locally, when we look at 12 and above who are fully vaccinated, Franklin County is at about 29% and Benton County is at about 44%. And I think what concerns me even more is when we look at our 65 and older population, which we know is a very vulnerable population, in our community, 30% you know, 30% of our highest risk community members are still not fully vaccinated. We had that large number that came out early and they wanted to get vaccinated. They are vaccinated. They are protected. We're not seeing disease in that population, but we're still concerned about those that have not been vaccinated yet or that adult and, and the child who, who, because they're not old enough, can't get vaccinated. And we know we have seen disease in that age group also, and especially for those kids who may have underlying health conditions, that could be very detrimental to them. And we do hear stories of families who are still staying home and not getting out and about because they're so concerned with the low vaccine rate and them having a a vulnerable child that if that child caught COVID, it could be um, very detrimental to them.
0: We have just a minute or two left, but the one the issue I know of, is of concern that makes people who don't or are leery about getting vaccinated is this has been this has been done so quickly to get to the point where these, these vaccines have been approved. If you would take a minute or so and just kind of address that concern for people and why that is something that, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to be as concerned as maybe you thought you should have been.
1: When this vaccine was rolled out, we really need to understand that a lot of testing had been done on this type of technology long before COVID appeared in the world. So the scientists were working on ways to create vaccines more efficiently and create better vaccines. Our vaccine technology is needed to be improved over the years. And along came mRNA technology, and we were very fortunate that the technology was in place. They were able to use it to start our COVID vaccines. And because of the pandemic and the world emergency, the FDA um, allowed the vaccine to come on board as an emergency, and all that meant is, all of that red tape and that paperwork and those things that a vaccine company has to do before they can ever really start doing much with it, they didn't have to do that. But when it got to the testing on people and all of that, that is identical to what would happen any other vaccine being rolled out into the market. So they really eliminated all the years and years and years of preliminary paperwork and they just got to the most important part. Let's get the vaccine out and see how it's doing in a, in a real environment. And this is honestly the technology of the future of vaccines. Um, I think we are going to see some very interesting changes here on out in the vaccine world that is only going to make them much safer and much better.
0: Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Great information as always. Thank you so much for taking the time. Stay cool. And we'll talk again next week. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call right after this.
2: listening to Catholic on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own healthcare provider. Always consult your healthcare provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Catholic on Call. Here again, Jim Hall.
0: Welcome back to Cadlick on Call presented by the Catholic Foundation. An important question. Are you an organ donor? After you hear from our next guest, I predict that you might become one. Sue Bergen lost her son, Mike, about two and a half years ago in a motorcycle accident as he was on his way to work. Mike was just 28 years old, leaving behind his wife and two young children. Tonight, we're honored to have his mom join us to talk about her son and why we should all sign up to be Oregon Donors. Welcome to the program, Sue Bergen. And Sue, my understanding is it will be three years in November since Mike's accident, and I'm guessing it does not get any easier, does it?
3: Yeah, he was um, in his accident on November 4th of 2018, and he passed away on the 7th. And no, it doesn't get easier. You just learn a new you and try to deal with it.
0: What um, obviously the, the dealing with that is just certainly life altering, uh, needless to say. But what would you like your people, to, uh, folks, to know about your son?
3: Oh wow, larger than life um, would be what his brother would say. He was six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds, and loud and proud. Um, loved motorcycles and family, and was adore, adored his wife and children beyond words. Um, he was always living on the edge. You know, cats have nine lives. He had one for every year he was alive. <laughs> always giving me all the gray hairs that I have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But certainly uh, the, the, when that accident happened, and I know you, you have become an advocate of organ donation and shifting to the decision to make that decision about organ donation, I'm guessing along with his wife, what went into that? And, and, and maybe share with our listeners what you would like to about that process and, and coming to that difficult decision.
3: Well, Mike had always been a, a motorcycle rider, and um, his whole, our whole family has ridden for years. And him and Kylie had talked early on because of his passion for life. And if something were to happen to him, he wanted to be a donor so he could continue to help those in need. He was always volunteering and helping. Um, he was a Navy vet. He played hockey, rode motorcycles, and hung with family. And Mike was always giving of his heart and time. So it wasn't a surprise that he wanted to be an organ donor. And I always say continue to shine and share his sparkle with others. <laughs> So um, as a family, he never disappointed. He was, um, as an organ donor, we had all been organ donors, too. But until it hits your family, you really never understand the true impact of, of being an organ donor. Um, as soon as the doctor told us his injuries were catastrophic, his wife immediately said, you know, take what you can use right away. And because of his size, it took a couple of days um, which was a blessing because that gave us a couple more days with him. Um, at that time, Life Center Northwest came in and they worked in, in coinciding with Cadillac to assist us and take care of every need we had. It was actually a very, very special experience because you know it could have gone a lot of different ways. But between Calic and Livestream Northwest, any questions we had, um, there was a lot of people coming in and out of the hospital, and they were just very patient and kind with everybody. So, I've always been a donor, but until I died, I didn't understand the benefit of it. Our donation gives hope, opportunity, and strength to those who are hurting and left behind. The relationship between Calic and Life Center, like I said, was compassionate, caring, and kind, and we never felt alone. Mike's widow after the accident, went to school to become an EMT and is now working as an ER technician with the dream of being a nurse. And she said the experience of losing her husband and how she was treated while he was at Cadillac had a lot to do with why she went into that field.
0: Well, wonderful for her. And, and it's interesting to note, just friends of mine that I've become to know over the years who work in the healthcare field, many of them, like your daughter-in-law, made that decision based on a health care experience. And certainly mm-hmm. and something like that is just, I mean, you must be proud of her too.
3: Very, very proud of her. She's done an amazing job since he passed away. Um, Mike um, had so many different hobbies. There was a significant amount of people that rallied around her and still continue to do to, do so today. Um, the kids are getting big. Maverick's going to be five in October. And him is going to be nine next January. And it's still a a topic that they like to talk about, you know, and they understand the importance of mommy's job and, and how it benefits other people.
0: If you would back to the organ donation part, can you share with us uh, how many folks that you're aware of that have been able to benefit from, from Mike's organs and tissue?
3: Okay. Well, his liver was, um, given to a man that lives in Hawaii. He had, um, Uh, cirrhosis of the liver, but it was a non-alcoholic kind, and he did not have a quality of life. Um, We've been in touch with him, and he's an amazing person. It's crazy how many coincidences there are between Mike and the liver recipient. Um, His kidneys were given to two individuals. One was in their 40s, and the other one was in their late 30s. Um, He also um, donated his corneas. One went to a 70-year-old lady, and another one went to a 40-year-old man. And his nerves were also donated. And back in December, he was honored by the at the Rose Parade. Um, they did a lot a uh, a.
0: Uh, oh a float at, six at six the parade. Don't the doesn't yeah, life the, center do it or the National Organ Donation? Don't they do a float yeah. each year in the Rose Parade?
3: Yeah, and, and he his picture was displayed. Oh, terrific! Um and in coinciding with that, we were also contacted. His wife and I. Um, to do an interview for how it impacted all of this. Well, when they sent us back the interview to try and you know, spread awareness of organ donation, we also got to see a clip from a lady who had received some of Mike's nerves. And I wasn't aware that you could donate nerves, so it was really amazing to watch the video of her going from not being able to use her hand to having full mobility of it again and listening to her talk about how it had changed her life. So, in true Mike fashion, he's still got his sparkle going on out
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got you for another segment, and that's for a whole different topic. But I, I wanted to have you uh, conclude, if you would, on this organ donation subject. If you, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us of just the the point of you you've been able to connect with some of the recipients. I bet that's been powerful.
3: Yeah, and it's been healing too. Um, you know, some of them are still very private. And, of course, you know, for the first year after Mike had passed away, um, Kylie was dealing with, you know, the losing her husband. And so the organ donation was something that she dealt with privately. Um, just in the last year, you know, we've been learning more and more. And um, life is just so precious, and it can be gone in any, any minute. And no one really wants to talk about death. But if you're on the fence of being an organ donor, I would encourage you to talk with someone whose love and was an organ donor. Because knowing part of your life lives on is actually very humbling and beautiful feeling. While well, my son is now my guardian angel, I would never wish the situation on anyone. Knowing that he gave back life and a quality of life to others is truly a beautiful feeling.
0: You somewhat answered my final question on this topic, and that's just it. Knowing the fact that, that Mike does live on in so many ways and in so many people just make must make you a proud mom. <laughs>
3: very proud. Um, I was able to talk with his brother a little earlier today, and he was actually going to join me tonight, but he had uh, something come up, and he couldn't, and I asked him, I said, you know, what would be the message that you would want people to know, and it's just that, you know, you you come into the world the same way you go out, and if you can help other people, it's just such a benefit, um, giving quality of life to others, you know, seeing people smile, like I did with this lady who got his um, nerves. I mean, that's just like, wow, the part of him's out there.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, we have to take one commercial break. But before we do, I want to pass along the website. If you would like to sign up to be an organ donor, it's very easy to do. You can go to the website of Life Center Northwest, and that website is lcnw.org. That's lcnw. Dot org, if you would like to become an organ donor. And uh, after hearing what Sue just described, I, I hope all of you do if you haven't already. Uh, we will have more with Sue in just a moment. We'll talk to her about an experience of the topic that's been so top of mind for everyone the last year and a half, and that's COVID. And we'll do that right after this. We're visiting with Sue Bergen, who has been sharing her inspirational story of her son, Mike, who passed away at the age of 28 uh, following an accident and became an organ donor and has helped so many people as a result of his organ donation. So we're trying to shine the light on the importance of organ donation, and hopefully if you have not signed up to become a donor, that you will do so. And if you'd like more information on how to do that, You can go to Life Center Northwest's website, and that's lcnw.org. And we're going to go back to resume our conversation with Sue, and that's for reasons relative to Covid, And if uh, dealing with the, the the tragedy that she's dealt with the last two and a half years, uh, also Sue has been impacted by COVID. And Sue, maybe if you would just, I know in, I think it was the month of March, uh, both you and your husband uh, were diagnosed with COVID and you had to spend some time in the hospital. How are you doing most importantly uh, today?
3: Well, I uh, learned that uh, I have major brain fogs. <laughs> Not that I don't normally, but it's worse now. <laughs> I get exhausted really easily. Um, I have what they call COVID lungs. Um, They're damaged from scarring from the COVID. Um, I had COVID pneumonia. Um, When I was admitted to the hospital, my oxygen level was in the low 60s. Um, There was a couple of days that were pretty rough, and then I was moved to intensive care um, because I developed cardiac issues. So I'm still dealing with the after effects of that. Um, I have a doctor that I see in Spokane that's been helping me maneuver <laughs> the new me again.
0: So you, so the fact that this was in March when, when the diagnosis came, and, and again, so here we are a couple of months later, and you're still feeling the impact.
3: Yeah, um, I really have to push myself to um, walk and stay active, Which, you know, coming off the cuffs of my son's death was probably not something I really did. Um, It was much easier to shelter in place. Um, But I know that my husband will periodically, even now, say, honey, are you okay? Because your breathing seems like you're really struggling. So it's just going to be a long process. I'm not a quitter. So I did, um, I have heard of people who have not been successful after contacting the COVID pneumonia. So I feel very thankful to be alive, and thankful for the people that took care of me during that time, and, so and you're, still are.
0: And so your, prog- your progress—it's—it's it's been slow, but at least you're 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 seeing progress.
3: Yes, definitely seeing progress. Um, one of the things that I was not aware of, you know, because COVID has been going on almost a year when I contracted the COVID pneumonia, um, is that a lot of people are losing their hair, <laughs> and I am one of those people. And I've talked to three or four other people that have recovered from COVID pneumonia um, that are also experiencing the same thing. So it's not just the breathing, it's, you know, the hair loss, the anxiety, the insomnia, being in isolation and away from your family. I have a very close-knit family and being away from all of them, it ended up being a total of 52 days um, because we do have young grandchildren and we didn't want to take any chances of them being exposed. So there's a mental part to it, too. It's just not the physical.
0: I know so much of our program and what we've been trying to do, and it's an individual choice of getting vaccination. And I know you're in the process of getting you've gotten uh, I think you're somewhere in the you've gotten one or you're about to get your second one. But if you would, I know you had mentioned, I think, that you were a little not sure if you wanted to get the vaccine. But has that changed your, your attitude at this point?
3: Yeah, well, you know, we were very adamant um, prior to getting COVID. You know, it's not going to happen to us, um, kind of like losing my son. Um, you don't ever say that. because Chances are it will happen, and then, you know, you're scrambling to figure out what your true belief system is. But, yes, we were on the fence after we had COVID because of how sick we both got and hearing, um, you know, how people were getting sick from the shots and things like that. Um, But in talking with our doctor, he highly recommended that my husband and I both go through the process of being vaccinated for our health. And a lot of people don't understand that after your first vaccination, there's going to be later boosters and things like that. So you don't want to be behind the eight ball because you can get sick again.
0: And, and and is that kind of the, the point that you would like to make? And we just have a couple of minutes left and I maybe end on that part is that obviously um, you have grandkids, you have family, you want to resume your life. And so it's kind of like you're doing it to not only obviously help yourself, but to help p- protect them as well. Because at this point they, the young kids can't get the vaccination.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, we, are just so concerned about their health and safety and, you know, being vaccinated is not just, it's not just for us, it's for everybody that we come in contact with, from the elderly to the young children. Um, I have a father that I hadn't seen in over a year um, because of COVID, and I had to be fully vaccinated to see him, so I still have only been able to talk to him on the phone. Um, Unfortunately, you know, there's so much controversy around it, because we all have our personal choices and I respect that. Um, But on the same hand, I want to be able to see my parents. I want to be able to ensure that my grandchildren are safe, (laughs) you know, that I'm not exposing them to anything.
0: Well, I just want to, thank you on two fronts. First of all on this topic that we just addressed and being so willing to share your your story and, uh, on COVID and your experience and, and relative to vaccination but I do want to give you maybe another 30-40 seconds if you would to conclude to go back to the other topic and that's your son Mike and the importance that our listeners uh, be aware of the importance of organ donation.
3: Well you should never let a day go by that you don't take pictures of your loved ones and always remember to say I love
0: you. Again our thanks to Sue Bergen and thanks to Heather Hill for getting us all wrapped up and caught up on the latest, not only on COVID, but the heat uh, that we're enduring in our community. Please be safe out there and look after your friends and neighbors as well. Have a great week and we'll talk again next Wednesday night.